Science is the great antidote to the poison of enthusiasm and superstition. Hi, I'm Juliette Selgren, and this is my podcast, The Great Antidote, named for Adam Smith, brought to you by Liberty Fund. To learn more, visit www.adamsmithworks.org. Welcome back. Today, on November 17th, 2022, I'm excited to welcome the founder and director of the Objective Standard Institute, Craig Biddle. He's also the author of several books, including Loving Life. You might be asking, what's going on here? We're going to be talking about philosophy today. Um, Specifically, we're going to be exploring objectivism and Ayn Rand and kind of airing out all of that stuff. But first, we're going to take a look at what philosophy is and if you really need it in your life. I think you do. So welcome to the podcast. Hey, Juliet. Thanks. Great to be here. So before we get started, what is the most important thing that people in my generation or my age should know that we don't? That's a great question. Um, I would say the this, the moral purpose of your life is the pursuit of your own happiness while respecting the rights of others to pursue their own happiness. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing people need to know that they don't know. It's also a very rich statement that, uh, you know, as you might have surmised, already contradicts uh, most of the moral ideas that we've been raised with. So philosophy, who, who needs it? Why do we need it? Do we need it? Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question, too. In fact, that's uh, coincidentally, I'm currently teaching a reading group on a book titled uh, Philosophy, Who Needs It? uh, by the author Ayn Rand. And um, the answer that she gives in that book is one that I agree with, and that is that everyone needs philosophy. Uh, Indeed, not only do we need it, but everyone has a philosophy, whether he or she is aware of it or not. And this is because as conceptual beings, as beings who use abstractions, like all the words that I'm using now and all of the ideas that we use in our lives, we have to operate at the abstract level. We have to use words and concepts and statements and generalizations and principles in order to live. That's what, that's the kind of animal we are, right? Birds don't, birds and snakes and and rabbits and and the like don't have that that, uh, need because they don't have a conceptual faculty. But we do. We have this thing called reason. And if we're going to live fully as human beings, we need to use that faculty. Um, and so we, we have to think in terms of what is fundamentally true about the universe? What is fundamentally the nature of this place where we live? Are things what they are? Or can they be changed by a wish or a whim? Are miracles possible or does natural law hold such that things uh, can't act in contradiction to their nature, right? Can, can a, a rose can bloom and it can wilt, but can a rose speak? That would be a miracle, right? So we, we have to have some idea about the nature of the place in which we live or we can't live successfully in that place. If, if you think 
that miracles can happen all the time, uh, then you're going to be, you're, you're going to wind up schizophrenic because you're going to be like, oh my God, what could happen next? Who knows? Maybe the rose is going to speak. Maybe that car is going to turn into a turtle, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You, I mean, you would be, you would be a crazy person if you, if you thought that. So your fundamental view of the world is really important. And that's a, a, a branch of philosophy called metaphysics. It's what you think the fundamental nature of the universe is. And then there are, you know, uh, four other br major branches of philosophy. One is about what is our means of knowledge. Uh, that's called epistemology. And that, that gets into the question of how do we know what's true? How do we validate our knowledge? Do we go by consensus? Do we go by faith? Do we go by feelings? Do we go by reason? Some mixture of all of these, right? That is the question that really underlies and gives rise to our answers to everything in our lives because how we know what we know or how we validate the ideas in our in our minds is really fundamentally important and you can't get away from this so if you don't focus on philosophy and make your own you know first-handed rational decisions about what you think makes sense what you think is our means of knowledge what you think is the fundamental nature of the universe then you're going to pick that those ideas up from society sort of through social osmosis. And if you do that, then you have a philosophy that you're not even in control of that. You don't, you don't know whether it's true. You just, you just adopted it secondhand from other people. And then likewise, when we get to morality, which is another branch of philosophy and morality asks the question in effect, how should we act? What's good? What's bad? What should, and we, sh what, what, what should we do and what shouldn't we do? And here again, you can't get through the day without answering those kinds of questions in your mind. In fact, every day we wake up and there's some, in some form or another, we ask ourselves, what should I do today? Well, that word should is a moral term. It's like, what's the right thing to do? And so you can't get away from having a philosophy. The only choice that you have in this regard, as, as Ayn Rand put it, is whether you will do due diligence and think about philosophic ideas and come to rational conclusions, or whether you'll have a junk heap of ideas that just accumulate in your head and that that lead you sort of aimlessly through life. So if I want to start discovering my philosophy or thinking about it or, uh, you know, coming to it on my own instead of this social osmosis, where where does one start? Great question. Well, Rand gives some really great uh, ideas on this count as well. So I want to uh, let me really recommend that anyone listening who's interested in philosophy read Ayn Rand's book, Philosophy Who Needs It. It's it's just a fabulous uh, uh, book of essays that gets into all sorts of different angles on this. And in the first essay there, which is titled Philosophy Who Needs It, so it's the, the same as the title of the book, she points out that there are basically three questions that um, philosophy uh, aims to answer. And those are, where am I? Which doesn't mean, you know, am I in New York or, or Virginia? It means what is the nature of this universe? What's the nature of the place in which we are trying to do this thing called life? So what's the nature of this place? Where am I? How do I know it? How do I know what's true? How do I know, you know, what things are and how I can use them to achieve the goals that I uh, want to achieve and so on? So what's my means of knowledge? And then what should I do? 
Um, so those that that corresponds to the three branches I just just mentioned. There's the metaphysics, the nature of the universe, the uh, uh, epistemology, uh, how do I know what's true, and ethics, what should I do? So the starting point for anyone who wants to get into philosophy is to take these questions seriously. And to take these questions seriously means that you're going to look at the alternatives that are offered, not only by other people, but alternatives that you might think of on your own. And that's what the f- study of philosophy does. So you you could, in, in reading Ayn Rand's book, Philosophy Who Needs It, she is going to sort of guide you through um, a way of thinking about this that is very critical. So she, she, she says, look, if you want to take philosophy seriously, you have to take words and concepts and what people say seriously. And um, if somebody says, look, faith is a means of knowledge, I know that, you know, God exists and that the t- Ten Commandments are, are the moral guides to our lives and all of that, because I have faith, then you got to take that seriously. If faith is a means of knowledge, then faith is a means of knowledge. Well, what does that mean in your own life? And, you know, one, one, of, the, one of the kinds of things that Rand would point out, and this is not her example, but I'll, I'll use it because it's uh, it's. Um, applies to something very pressing in our own lives. If you take the idea that faith is a means of knowledge seriously, then what are you going to do when somebody says, I have faith that I should fly jets into skyscrapers full of people because they don't believe in my God? Now, what are you going to do with that? If faith is a means of knowledge, then the person who has faith that he should do that knows that he should do it. That's what it means to have it, the thing be a, a means of knowledge. And if he knows that he should do that, and then it's the right thing for him to do, right? You, you can't get around the problem that is set up by grasping this, by, by taking seriously this notion that you can just accept things as true because you have faith. I believe it without any evidence to support it, no logical argument to support it. I just believe it. Fine. If that's a means of knowledge, then we've got to apply that throughout life. That means anything anybody believes is true by that fact. And then if he acts on it, he's doing the right thing by that fact. Now, this is insane, right? If you think about it, but most people don't think beyond the immediate. They, they, oh, faith is a means of knowledge. So my faith and my faith means love your neighbor. So everything's fine. No, it's not. Not if you accept the idea that faith is a means of knowledge, because it means that anybody's faith about anything thereby becomes knowledge. So you see the difference. Now, if you go the other way, if you say, well, well, let's let's look at another means of knowledge, reason. Reason is the, the faculty that helps us to or enables us to integrate the things we perceive into concepts. So you look out in the world, you see cats and dogs and birds, and you form concepts to identify those things. Cat. Every time I see something that looks like that, we'll say cat, because that's what that is. And then you integrate into more abstract ideas, putting cats, dogs, and birds together into a more abstract idea called animal, right? And that's somewhat more abstract, and it captures all of those things. And this is how the, the, the human mind works. We build concepts on concepts, and come up with ways to understand the world using this faculty called reason. So if you go by reason as our means of knowledge, then you can have a completely different approach to the world. I'm not going to accept things unless there's evidence to support the idea all the way down to the perceptual level, just like when I see a cat. Um, 
And if you build your philosophy on reason, and if you accept reason as your only means of knowledge, then if someone says, well, I have faith, I should fly jets into your skyscrapers, you can say, well, where did you come up with that idea? There's nothing in reality to support that idea. There are no facts that give rise to the idea that you should fly skyscrapers into buildings full of people just because they don't believe in your God. Frankly, there's no evidence for the existence of your God. So why are you even accepting that, right? And so there's a very big difference between accepting reason as a means of knowledge and accepting faith as a means of knowledge. And just one more, just to throw another one into the mix, because the, the means of knowledge is such an important aspect of philosophy. So a lot of people go, well, if, if I feel it, it's true. So they treat emotions as a means of knowledge. Well, emotions are really, really important. Like there would be no point in living if you didn't have emotions. Emotions are sort of, uh, there are psychological means of enjoying our values and enjoying life, right? You you fall in love with somebody and you feel this emotion of, of, of I value this person intensely. And it's really, really important to me that, that, that this person is in my life. That's a, a really important emotion. You, you know, the simplest example of an emotion is your, 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 uh, your favorite team, your favorite football team wins the game. You're like, Hey, you feel great. Or if your favorite team loses the game, you feel bad. And if you, um, and if you bet a lot of money on that game and your team loses, then you feel even worse. Right. So emotions are important. They're, they're how we experience psychologically our values in life. Right? You, you, you apply for a job, you get it, and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. I got the job of my dreams. So they're very important, but they are not your means of knowledge. And this is, you know, but, but some people treat them as a means of knowledge. They, they, they treat them as, oh, if I, if I feel it's true, it's true. But, but that's mistaking one of your mental faculties, your emotional faculty, for being the other mental faculty in your mind, your rational faculty. So according to Rand and according to the her philosophy of objectivism. We need to keep these two things separate. Emotions are very important, but they're not your means of knowledge. Reason is. And if you treat reason as reason, your means of knowledge, and emotions as emotions, your your psychological means of, of experiencing your values, then these two things can be in harmony and you can have a wonderful life where you use reason to figure out what's true and you enjoy the emotional experiences that you have uh, by achieving your goals and, um, and, and, uh, and achieving happiness. So you see, there's real practical value in this stuff. It's not the case that philosophy is some pie in the sky, uh, you know, uh, game uh, where you just move words around or try to win arguments. The question is really serious. How do we know what's true? What's going to be our, are we going to go by reason or emotion or faith or consensus? Just because everybody says it's true, does that make it true? In the antebellum South, the majority thought that slavery was perfectly fine. Did that make it true or was slavery wrong and people just didn't know it, right? So you got to take this stuff seriously. And that's what, um, and that's what uh, Ayn Rand advocates in, in that book. So start with the big questions. Where am I? What's the nature of this place? How do I know what's true? And then what should I do? We can talk more about ethics, which is where the rubber meets the road, because that's where all of your thinking goes to, uh, to help you decide what to do next and what to do in life. Yeah, so it seems like all of this, all the the ways of knowing and all that and reason and Ayn Rand seems to be leading up to objectivism. So what is objectivism? What are its conclusions? 
Yeah. So objectivism is Ayn Rand's philosophy. It's it's her whole systematic worked out um, answer to the big questions that I've, that I've been talking about. And I'll give you just a, a very, very short indication of where she stands in all of the branches of philosophy. But this is such a rich subject that you can't do much in, in a few minutes, but I'll, I'll do the, I'll, I'll give the bare minimum. So in metaphysics, what her question of what, you know, what is the fundamental nature of the place we live, this universe that we're in? She says, well, first of all, there's existence. You open your eyes and you see, oh, there existence exists. It's not the case that there's nothing out there. There's a world out there and we can see it. We can touch it. We can taste and hear it, et cetera. Right. Our senses tell us as soon as we uh, activate them at all that there's something there. What is the nature of this place? She says, well, things are what they are. Everything has an identity. Everything is what it is. So a rock is a rock, a rose is a rose, and a river is a river. And um, these things are different. And to understand the place that we're in, we have to take those differences seriously and their identities seriously. Uh, that's called the law of identity. Things are what they are. A is A. A corollary of that is that things act only in accordance with their natures. A rock can can roll if it's kicked or, or you know, pushed by wind or something, but it can't act on its own, right? It does. The rock is not alive. A flower is different. A flower can take self-generated action. It can grow by shooting its roots down into the ground and turning its leaves toward the sun and, and photosynthesizing. So there's, these things are different. A rose can bloom, but it can't speak. Miracles are out on her philosophy. She says a thing can act only in accordance with its nature. So a rose cannot speak, a bush cannot speak, right? So here I'm referring to uh, biblical uh, stories about about bushes speaking or uh, water turning to wine or snakes, uh, you know, or sticks turning into snakes or the like. She says miracles are out. We, we live in a place that is ruled by natural law, things being what they are and acting in accordance with their natures. So that's her basic metaphysics is that we ha that there there is a reality and things act in accordance with their natures and, they, and things are what they are and act in accordance with their natures. Uh, in epistemology, the, the branch that studies uh, knowledge and how, how we gain and, uh, and validate our ideas, she says your only means of knowledge is reason, the faculty that identifies and integrates the material provided by our senses. Um, so she's not against emotion. Emotions are real and they're there, but they're not your means of knowledge. And she's just ad adamant that we need to keep these things separate so that they can work well together. Use reason to figure out what's true. If there's evidence in support of an idea, then the idea, uh, you know, makes sense. It makes it down to the sensory level. That's what evidence and sensor making sense means. And if there's no evidence to support an idea, then you have no business accepting it. You don't go, you don't say, well, I feel it's true, therefore it's true, or I have faith that it's true, therefore it's true. You just go by reason. So reason, as she puts it, is an absolute when it comes to knowledge. Um, in ethics, uh, how should we act? What's good? What's right? What's wrong? She says that the only reason we need ethics or need to answer such questions is so that we can live. She says the, the fundamental reason for thinking and acting is life. We need to live. And so she through she has a whole inductive argument on this, but she says that human life is the standard of moral value. That which supports and furthers human life is good. 
So things like thinking and producing values and trading with other people voluntarily so that we can all grow and thrive and live in harmony, that's all good because it serves human life. And the bad or the evil is that which harms or destroys human life. So the refusal to think or stealing from other people or, or you know, raping, murdering, killing, you know, all, all of the things that are anti-life are bad. So she's got a black and white ethic. She says, if it's good for human life, then it's good. If it's bad for human life, it's bad because human life is the standard of value. You know, this gets very complicated because there's human life is super rich. We're, we're these complex beings of mind and body. And we have, uh, we have, you know, both our rational faculty and our emotional faculty and we live for decades. So things are very complicated and we've got to deal with other people and we all have free will. So we make decisions and, and, and have different, uh, different values, but she's, says, as long as you use reason in all of these areas and to answer these questions, uh, you can navigate this difficult thing we call human life by simply asking the question, well, what serves human life and what doesn't? And then you codify the answers to those questions into values and virtues. And her, the values and virtues in her ethics are reason is your fundamental because it's your means of knowledge. So that's your fundamental value. You need purposes in life. You've got to have goals and, 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 uh, and aims in life because otherwise you don't know what to do. So you've got to choose things like a career and hobbies that will fill your life with joy and things like that and go after them so that th those are your purposes. And then she says you need self-esteem. You gotta, you have to have this conviction that you're capable of dealing with the world and worthy of success in the world. And those are really important aspects of, of human life. So she regards those as the cardinal values, as she puts it. Um, and then the actions that you need to take, she says, are the virtues, the actions that serve human life. So be productive, produce values because you have to produce in order to live. Trade with other people voluntarily. Don't steal things from people because that violates their rights and is bad for you because it makes you a parasite. Instead, be productive and trade with other people. And then you have a win-win situation with others and you can, you can have a wonderful life. Uh, judge people rationally. Uh, by the by the actual facts. So if somebody is is dishonest repeatedly and you see that, you say, oh, I'm not going to be friends with you anymore because dishonesty is bad um, and so on. She, she's got a very straightforward, in a sense, approach to ethics, which is take ideas seriously, take the requirements of human life seriously, and then use these ideas so that you can live well, love life and engage uh, beautifully with other people. So that's her ethics. And there's a whole lot more to that. But I want to move on just briefly to her politics and her and her aesthetics, which aesthetics is the branch about art. Um, so politically, Rand says, um, if or not if, but because it's true that the right way to live is to pursue your values and respect the rights of other people to pursue their values so that we can all live wonderful lives, we need a political system that outlaws the one thing that can stop people from acting rationally and pursuing their values. And that one thing is physical force. So at the political level, she says we need to outlaw physical force uh, against human beings. You can't use force against others because it stops them from living as human beings. So the government says none of that. And if anybody does use physical force, then the government does the one thing that governments are supposed to do, and that is stop people from doing that. So the government will use retaliatory force against those who initiate force against people. And she says this is the only proper function of government is to do that. 
And it's the and and it's absolutely essential that we have a government to do that. Otherwise, you've just got war of each against all. Um, you know, with, with the the bad people out there, will 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 attack the good, and then the good will have to drop the effort to produce and trade and deal with the bad people. We don't want to have to do that. So you, instead, you have a government that just outlaws force. And then finally, in the branch of philosophy that's concerned with art, it's called aesthetics, um, Rand was herself an artist. She was a novelist, so she has a lot to say about this. Um, but the essence of her view is that art is a real requirement of human life. Uh, it's a spiritual requirement because it helps us to refuel our souls and to become richer and deeper thinkers and feelers. Um, about this wonderful thing called life. And so in really good art, we have heroes who show us what it means to live um, with passion about your values. And we then have contrast. You have bad guys in, 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 in um, talking about art that's at least involving storytelling. Um, there are bad guys and good guys and, and good art uh, shows people, uh, people's lives being driven by the choices that they make rather than just having things happen to them randomly. And she differentiates here between what's called naturalism, which is art that just has people sort of uh, passively existing and having things happen to them, and what is called romantic art or romanticism, uh, which is art driven by people's choices and values. So people going after things that they think are really important or defending things that they think are really important. And she thinks that this uh, this distinction in art is crucial um, and that one of them is superior to the other, that uh, romantic art, because it's driven by human choices and values, is superior to naturalistic art. And she thinks that that art is is just crucial. And I, I, we can all feel that on some level. Like, why do we listen to music that we love? Why do we watch movies and read books that that fuel our souls? Why do we uh, go look at you know paintings and and sculptures in museums? Right, because we 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 get something really important out of doing these things. We get this spiritual fuel for our souls, and uh, and Rand recognizes that and makes a big deal of it as well. So those are the five branches. There's there's metaphysics. Uh, what's the nature of the universe? Epistemology. How do we know what's true? Ethics. What should we do? How should we act? Politics. What kind of social system or political system should we have so that people can act and live? Uh, and then art or aesthetics. Um, you know, what is the nature of this this important aspect of life, and um, and how can we understand it so that we can really enjoy the arts uh, out there. So, so that's that's the essence of uh, of philosophy according to the objectivist view. So, a, a a polity that that respects property rights and um, allows individuals to thrive in their own, as long as I like my my free my right to do what I want ends at your face, essentially. Um, how does how does that work with reason? If my reason tells me that I want your cookie and that I would be very happy to eat your cookie, why can't I just take your cookie? Great question. Yeah. So reason is not merely a means to an end. It's not it's not really uh, it's not the case that you choose whatever you want and then reason is just a tool to get the thing that you want. 
reason properly understood and properly used also tells us what are the proper ends to choose? What are the proper goals to have? What are the proper things to go after? And if you step back and ask yourself the question, what is it, what's necessary for human beings, given the kind of animal that we are, to live really beautiful lives, not just for a day, but for the span of decades, right? We have the capacity to live for more than 100 years now. Um, and so you have to take seriously the full context of human life. We are not just, you know, uh, uh, simple creatures that live for a little while and have only one faculty, whatever I want is good, right? The, your emotional faculty. We are instead creatures who can live for a very long time and we are very complex. We have reason and emotion and we have friends and we have our own goals and we have our own purposes. and Stealing cookies from people, uh, as you pro probably know on some level, right? I mean, your, your question is perfectly good, but at the same time, everybody knows that stealing cookies from people is not a good way to live your life. Now, people don't fully understand why it isn't, but on some level, you realize, well, what happens when you steal a cookie from someone? It, well, couple things happen right away. You can tell, first of all, you've, you've done something to this other person, but that's not even the fundamental. That, that you've you've harmed another person, you've really harmed yourself because you made yourself not you, you you've chosen not to live as the kind of being that you are. The kind of being that you are is a being that needs to be productive in order to live. That's what that's why we that's what the rational faculty does for human beings. It enables us to look at the world and say, hey, how can I be productive? How can I produce values and live in a way that not only brings me those physical values, say a cookie, but also helps me to have self-esteem and to love myself and to feel energized and feel the ability to live successfully in every other aspect of human life, right? So you've got to take seriously this business that we are a complex being. Uh, we, we're not just this 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 uh, monstrous little animal that just steals things and gobbles them up and then uh, one day dies. We are instead an animal that can live beautifully with enormous depth of character and love of self and love of life. But to achieve that kind of life, you have to be thoughtful. So thinking, that's your fundamental virtue, reason or rationality, Rand calls it. You have to be productive. That's another virtue. You have to produce values rather than live parasitically on others. If you live parasitically on others, you're going to feel like a parasite. Why? Because you are being a parasite. That's what it means to, to you know, you're going to feel like what you are. And so Rand basically says in, 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 in brief, she says, you know, to, to live as a human being and to enjoy all of the things that human life uh, carries with it as potential, you have to take seriously the kind of animal that you are and then live in, in, that, in that capacity. So reason does not just say, go get whatever you want by, by using this tool called reason. It says instead, think about the full context of human life choose values that are appropriate to the kind of being that you are, and then you use this same faculty 
to go after those things. And if you, if you do that, you don't come to conclusions like, oh, I'll just steal whatever I want and, and, uh, and that'll be it. You realize that stealing things from other people doesn't lead to a good life. It leads to, uh, you know, it, it leads to, uh, feeling like a parasite. It leads to having very low self-esteem because you don't feel like you're, um, capable of dealing with the reality on your own. You feel like, oh, I'm dependent on other people because I've got to steal stuff from them. I'm not a creator. I'm not a producer. And you ultimately don't live a happy life because you feel rotten about yourself and you can't make good friends and you might get thrown in jail and so on and so forth. So, Great question. And the, the, the business of, of taking reason seriously consists in seeing it both as the means to choosing proper ends with the full context of your knowledge and as the means to pursuing those ends by understanding cause and effect and what you've got to do to get what, what genuinely will serve your life. Well, so I guess you kind of touched on the idea that we kind of have an instinct to not steal or that stealing is bad. And I was kind of born with this instinct that uh, freedom is good. I've always been a very independent being. Some people aren't. Some people are more inclined to give to charity just instinctually. Um, So how do we reconcile instincts and things that we feel in like our gut, maybe by our nature, we were just born and that's our evolutionary instinct, maybe. How do we reconcile that with reason? Another great question. Uh, first, I would not, I wouldn't use the word instinct. I don't think we are born with instincts about what's right and wrong or an instinct that stealing is wrong. I didn't mean to imply that if I said anything that did. So let me focus on that and then I'll talk about charity as well. Um, so if you, if you think of a, of a two-year-old in a sandbox with a truck, and another two-year-old comes along and grabs the truck and runs away with it, right? W- what's going on there? So that one, one two-year-old stole this truck from another. Does the, the two-year-old who had his truck stolen feel bad because he has some innate knowledge or an instinct that stealing is bad? Or does he feel bad because he knows that this truck was his because his parents gave it to him? So he's, or, or, or because, um, yeah, because his parents gave it to him, we'll keep it simple. And somebody else took what belonged to him and he feels, oh my God, I just, you know, lost this thing that was really important to me. And therefore I'm upset about it. Well, that's what happens. And he doesn't think to himself, this is an act of injustice or theft is wrong. He doesn't even have concepts for these ideas yet. What he has is the law of causality. And the law of identity before him. Things are what they are. This truck is a truck. I'm me. My parents gave this to me. They didn't give it to somebody else. This is the simple language going on in in, in his head. And somebody running off with the truck violates these truths that, that, that this, this truck belongs to him. And so at the very simplest level of the way that the human mind begins to work when it's when it's just coming to, to start to, to deal with reality, um, that's the beginning of the formation of, of the kinds of concepts that will later lead to things like property and theft and justice and, and right and wrong. And so he's not born with instincts about this. These 
are these kinds of ideas develop over time because of experiences, because of experiences like getting a gift from your parents, a truck, and then having that thing stolen and things like this. So just, just to, to, um, deal with this, this confusion, it's very understandable confusion that we might have instincts about these things. I don't think that's the case. What happens is we learn, uh, through iteration that certain things are good for my life and other things are bad for my life. And over time, if we take ideas seriously, we can conceptualize these into a whole category of things that eventually we'll call morality. The things that are good for my life are good and the things that are bad for my life are bad. And then you even broaden that further and say, well, it's not just me, it's human beings as such. And then we have to take seriously the nature of human beings. So we codify into uh, the principles of the our moral code. We codify broader principles. It's not just about me. It's about me because I'm this kind of being, because I'm a rational being. So it sort of uh, uh, emanates outward from personal experience. And then uh, when you get to your age or my age, then we, we've codified into a, a, you know, a huge amount of knowledge that we've learned over the years into a very um, a, a very reality grounded and useful moral code based on these kinds of experiences. Now that's the ideal. Unfortunately, most people don't do that. Most people just get their morality secondhand from their parents, preachers or teachers, and they accept it uncritically because they, they just don't know that they need to think more deeply about these things. Now, as for charity, you mentioned, well, some people feel like, you know, they should give to charity. Charity is an interesting thing because um, although Rand held, and I agree with her, that it is not itself uh, a virtue, giving money or time to others, uh, you know, without anything in return is not something that is a necessary aspect of human life. Like the whole, the whole business in, in the objectivist view of figuring out what's true in ethics is what's required for human life what's necessary for human beings to live and flourish given the kind of animal that we are. Well, it's not the case that in order to live and flourish, I need to give stuff away for free. But, and here's the big but, it is the case that my values are not only material. So it's not only food, clothing, shelter, money, and, you know, summer homes uh, that, that, that can serve human life. It's also... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Rand's three cardinal values, reason, purpose, and self-esteem, if you think about it, all of those are spiritual values. They pertain to consciousness. That's what spiritual means in the objectivist view. They're, they're, they're values of the mind, reason, this faculty of thinking, purpose, my, my long-term goals, self-esteem, my conviction that I'm able to, to deal with reality and worthy of success. These are spiritual values. And another spiritual value that's very important, um, and it goes in two directions, is integrity, right? So integrity is acting in accordance with your actual life-serving values, your actual rational values. And this is where I think um, uh, charity properly comes in. If you value something deeply, like a really good school that you went to and, and, uh, and you look back on it and you're like, wow, that, that school really helped me out. And now I'm successful in life and I make a lot of money and I can afford to help support that school. So I'm going to give charity money to that school. 
Or in my case, I'll give you a real life example. I had a really dear friend who worked for me for a while die of leukemia when he was just 22 years old. And uh, so my wife, Sarah, and I give regularly to St. Luke's Children's Hospital because um, we we uh, despise with every fiber of our being this horrible thing called leukemia. And we don't want children to have to suffer and die from this wretched disease. So we give money to that charity on a regular basis. Now, this money is going to people that we never even know or see. And we don't even hear about them. We just know that our money is going to go to help those young people. Well, why do we do this? This for us is an act of integrity. Here's, here's the deal. So we are successful. We have enough money that we can give to charities like this. We've, we've earned enough money that we're comfortable and we can give to these kinds of things. And something that is really, really important to us is kicking the shit out of this horrible thing called leukemia. So we want to participate in in doing away with this wretched thing. And so because it's so important to us and because we have the means to do it, it's an act of integrity. It's an act of being true to our own values that we support this effort. And so this is the best way to think about in, uh, about charity. If something is really important to you, and if you can afford it, whether it's a school or a, or a cause or whatever, and if you can afford without it harming your life, if you can afford to support that thing, then you jolly well should do it. It's right there in the math. It's, you've decided it's important to you. You, uh, you can afford to, uh, to support this cause. So you should do it. It's important to you. Uh, however, if somebody says, well, you should give to, to, causes that you don't care about. That's the kind of charity I want you to do. Well, why on earth would you do that? There's no, you know, why would I give to, first of all, there are certain causes out there that I don't even think are good causes. And there are lots of them. I take Greenpeace, right? Which I, I oppose because I, I think environmentalism, even though some people might say, oh, I'm for clean air and clean water. That's not what environmentalism is about. Environmentalism is the ideology that places untouched nature or nature untouched by man above the, the requirements of human life and prosperity. It says, in effect, that the, the ultimate goal is nature existing on its own without men, you know, uh, 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 exploiting it or using it in any, in any way. And I would no more want to give money to that charity. I regard that charity as completely anti-human life. And it's a, it's a wretched charity. So, my integrity would hold me away from ever giving money to that charity. So that's the the, the best way I think to think about um, charity is to, is to think in terms of your own values, what's important to you, and what you get for for charity is a feeling. And this is, you know, feelings are important things. You get a feeling of, oh, I'm supporting this thing that's really important to me, and it makes me feel good. And that's great. That's a good reason to do it as long as you are really thoughtful about it. You know, just because it makes you feel good doesn't mean it's good. Does it make you feel good because you've done due diligence and really thought through what is the nature of this organization? What are they doing? Is it consistent with my values or is it undermining or contradicting my values? So all of those questions have to come into play. But if they do, charity is a beautiful thing. I like that. Um so before we wrap up, I want to kind of, I mean, we've been exploring a lot of 
places where people contradict objectivism or people see contradictions or think that there are contradictions in objectivism. But what are the main um, objections to objectivism? And can you kind of respond to them for us? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's an interesting thing that you, you, you really never find anyone out there who takes object the, the principles of objectivism straight and then criticizes its actual principles. Usually what happens is people who want to attack objectivism build a straw man of some sort. They go, Rand was, Rand hated the poor and loved rich people and thought that we, that, uh, we, you know, we should just support rich people and forget about the poor or something like that. Or Rand thought that, you know, Rand was for selfishness. So she, she advocated stabbing people in the back to get what you want or whatever. And these, these are just not true. These are not, this is not what Rand held. If you read her novels, many of the villains in her novels are wealthy business people who uh, who came across their money by expropriating it from other people or by getting it through dishonest means or through pull from the government or something. And many of the heroes and heroines in her novel are are uh, uh, poor people who are struggling to make you know make a career for themselves. Uh, and there are also some wealthy people who are heroic, and there are also some non-wealthy people who are who are uh, you know the bad guys. So it's just if if you read Rand's novels and and her nonfiction works and take the ideas seriously, what you find is that she she didn't say anything of the sort uh, of those kinds of things. So you just have to don't don't accept. What other people tell you, Ayn Rand said, you have to read Rand if you really want to know what she said. But the general attacks come down to this. People will say, well, she's materialistic. Uh, she's just all about material values and making money. Well, that's not the case. As I mentioned earlier, her three cardinal values are spiritual values. She she holds reason, purpose, and self-esteem as, as fundamentally important to human life. She regards relationships, romantic relationships, as extremely important. That is not a material value. It's a spiritual value that involves material elements. You know, sex is both material and spiritual, right? Something we, we do, with, there's a physical aspect and there's a hugely important emotional aspect. Um and she regarded art as supremely important in human life. We we really need to enjoy uh, art and understand it and bring it into our lives. Well, that's that's hardly material. So you know, she was not a materialist in that sense. Nor nor was she a materialist in the fundamental philosophic sense. In 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 uh, metaphysics, in philosophy, there's this idea called materialism, which holds that only matter exists. There's no such thing as consciousness or mind or free will. And Rand opposed that also. She was not a materialist in that sense. She was, she recognized that there's both matter and mind. There are, there are physical objects and there's psychological elements of human life. So she wasn't a materialist in that sense either. Um, so that's one of the kinds of things. Then, then people will say another thing they'll say about her is she was all, she said reason is supreme and therefore emotions don't matter. Again, nothing of the sort. Rand said reason is our means of knowledge, and it's our only means of knowledge. And so don't pretend that emotions are your means of knowledge because they're not, and that will just get you into trouble. 
Instead, recognize the importance of emotions as what they are, which is your psychological means of experiencing your values. And so she just, one of the beautiful things about Rand's philosophy, she makes these really important distinctions like reason and emotion. What are these things and what's their, their, their proper relationship to each other? And then when people want to criticize Rand, they'll typically ignore some aspect of that and go, oh, she was against emotions, but she wasn't. She just regarded, uh, she just regarded emotions as something different and fundamentally and importantly different than reason. Then they'll say, well, you know, she, she was against religion and religion is what more is where morality really comes from. So she was against morality. Well, she was against religion because religion holds that faith is a means of knowledge. And the idea that faith is a means of knowledge is the most dangerous idea in the history of the world, if you think about it. As, as, as I mentioned earlier, as soon as you accept the idea that faith is a means of knowledge, literally anything goes. You know, there's the old saying, if, if there is no God, anything goes. Yeah, uh, that was Dostoevsky. Yeah, exactly. It comes from Dostoevsky. Um, or, or, well, it doesn't come from him, but it's, it's one, of the, one of his characters states, states something to that effect. Uh, you know, if, if there's no God, all things are permissible, I think is the exact line there. But that is not true. And what is true is this. I like to rephrase that this way. If faith is a means of knowledge, anything goes. Now, that is true. Because if faith is a means of knowledge, all you have to do is say, I have faith that this is the way I should act, and then you should act that way. Bam. And so this is why Rand was adamantly against religion, because religion holds this nonsensical idea, literally nonsensical idea, meaning that there's no sensory uh, grounding for this idea holds the nonsensical idea that, that faith is a means of knowledge. And that has led to all manner of mayhem and murder and chaos in, in human life. So yeah, she's against religion, but that doesn't mean she's against morality. It means she's for morality. It means she's for using reason to figure out what are the requirements of human life so that we can live beautiful lives in harmony rather than be at war with each other because one person says, my God's more important than yours. And I don't care what you have faith in because my faith says this. So yeah, you know, people will attack her for all sorts of reasons uh, or or alleged reasons. And they drop the, they, they, they drop the actual context of what Rand's ideas are all about and what she actually said. So my biggest advice to people is, you, you know, if you want to read, if, if you want to understand Rand's ideas, read her books. The most important are, her, I think, her, her fiction books because they really bring life to the ideas in, in these characters. So there's We the Living, The Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged, and then she's got a little novelette called uh, Anthem. Those are her four major nonfiction works. She's got some short stories as well, but those are the major nonfiction works. And then, I mean, the major fiction works, I was saying nonfiction there, I was talking about fiction. Her nonfiction works include The Virtue of Selfishness, which is a book uh, focusing on her ethics. And that provocative title is intentional because she's going to, it's intentional both because she means it and because what is meant by that is not what people think. And so that's a really important book. She gets into what it means to be rationally self-interested and what the principles of that ethics are. Uh, Another book is titled uh, Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal, which presents her 
uh, basically her political views and why she holds them. And that dovetails beautifully with her ethical views in the virtue of selfishness. And that's basically the, the capitalism, the unknown ideal is basically all about the idea that we, we need a social system that bans physical force from social relationships so that we can live beautiful lives in harmony with each other. And then uh, the third of her nonfiction works that I'll recommend super highly is the one I already mentioned, uh, which is uh, Philosophy Who Needs It, which really goes into depth on all of these kinds of questions that we're here talking about. Um, why is philosophy important? What are the various alternatives in philosophy? Which ones make sense and which ones don't? So I recommend those books. Um, and that'll that'll clear up a lot of the misconceptions that you get out there about what what Rand stood for. I wish we had more time to um, explore all these things because I can think of a million other arguments that people bring forth. Um, but I have one last question for you. What is one thing that you believed at one time in your life that you later changed your position on and why? Another great question. So I think the biggest, most important thing I ever changed my mind on was I was raised, as, as most people are, to believe that being moral consists in self-sacrificially serving others. That, that's what altruism is. Altru altruism uh, means otherism. Alter is Latin for others. So it literally means live for others. And I was raised with that idea. It's, it's prevalent out there in the culture. It's uh, most, most people's parents uh, raised them with that idea. Certainly if you went to church, you were raised with that idea, church or synagogue. And so I believe that, uh, for, you know, certainly all of my childhood and into the beginning of my adult life. And when I read Rand's works, I came to realize that there is no evidence to support that idea whatsoever. There's not a shred. There's no, there are no facts of reality that give rise to the idea that we should self-sacrificially serve other people. Now, there are all sorts of facts that give rise to the idea that we should produce values and trade with other people so that we can get, uh, you know, so that we can we can have wonderful things in life and that we can trade those with other people who want the things that we produce. There's all sorts of facts to support that. There's all sorts of facts to support the idea that uh, we should use our minds and, and be rational and pursue our values and take ideas seriously. And that's what Rand's philosophy or, or, or morality of rational self-interest is all about. And what I came to realize is that there's no evidence to support the idea that we should sacrifice for others, but there's a there's nothing but evidence out there that we should pursue our values so that we can live wonderful lives and that we should respect the rights of others to do the same so that we can all live wonderful lives. So that's the thing I changed my mind on is, is uh, I was raised to think that altruism is true. And I later realized that it's not true, that it's literally baseless and that what is true is rational egoism the idea that everyone should use his and his or her mind to uh choose and pursue the values that will make uh, his or her life wonderful and respect the rights of others to do the same Once again, I'd like to thank my guest for their time and insight, and I'd like to thank you for listening to The Great Antidote podcast. The Great Antidote is sound engineered by Rich Goyette. 
If you have any questions, any guests or topic recommendations, please feel free to reach out to me at thegreatantidote at gmail.com. Thank you.